is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up here with you live and here in studio and we're going to start out with our weekly wrap for the week the stock market settled the week mixed at the index level some rebound attempts throughout the week left the nasdaq and the russell 2000 with slim gains well the dow jones industrial average and the s p 500 declined 1.3 percent and seven tenths of one percent respectively this is a growing belief that the market is due to bounce after suffering steep losses in September, but rising long-term rates have kept stocks in check. The 10-year note yield jumped 13 basis points this week and 48 basis points for the month, up to 4.57%. The two-year note declined 8 basis points this week and rose 18 basis points for the month to 5.04%. The concern for stock market participants is not necessarily the size of the rate increases, but rather the pace at which the rates are moving. In addition, the jump in rates more recently doesn't appear to be tied to a fear of more rate hikes by the Fed. The Fed Fund's futures market sees only a 14.2% probability of a 25 basis point rate hike at the November FOMC meeting, versus 27.5% a week ago, and 62.3% a month ago, according to the CME FedWatch tool. That understanding may create some angst about what else is driving the Treasury market. Some other factors include the Fed having a long way to go to still get rid of its quantitative tightening efforts, other central banks possibly selling Treasuries in a bid to support their currencies, and concerns about the budget deficit issue. In addition, the move in interest rates seasonality has cited as another potential factor weighing over the market. September historically has been the worst month of the year for the S&P 500. Market participants received some economic data this week, including a weaker-than-expected August new home sales report, a low level of weekly jobless claims, and some pleasing inflation data in the form of a core PCE price index for August. We saw West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil futures jump more than $7 a barrel this month, settling Friday's session at $90.78 a barrel, which stoked lingering concerns about inflation expectations, rising gas prices, and a slowdown in consumer spending. The rate-sensitive S&P 500 utilities sector saw the largest decline this week by a decent margin, falling 7%. The worst performer was the consumer staples sector, down the next worst, I should say, was down, consumer staples down 2.1%. Only the energy, which is up one3 and materials up two-tenths of 1%, sectors registered gains on the week. So looking at some of our weekly action or daily action, we see on Monday that the major indices registered modest gains on Monday. But the complexion of things beneath the index service showed an otherwise mixed market on a day when long-term rates continued to rise. The major indices nonetheless closed near their highs for the session. The 10-year note yield jumped 10 basis points to 4.54%. That's the highest level in nearly 16 years. Equities took that move in stride, though, with an initial bout of selling. 
Stocks moved somewhat lower at the open, pressured by the jump in rates and carryover downside momentum from last week's losses. Things turned around quickly, though, and in the major indices bounced off their lows, helped by a reversal in mega-cap stocks. The index bounce also coincided with the S&P 500 slipping below an initial support level of 4,305, which attracted some overdue buying interest and amid a sense that stocks were short-term oversold. On Tuesday, the major indices all fell more than 1%, erasing Monday's modest rebound right out of the gate. The negative bias was due in part to ongoing worries about higher interest rates. Concerns about higher rates were stoked by J.P. Morgan Chase, which told the Times of India that he, in this case Jamie Dimon, that he is not sure the world is prepared for a 7%. Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari, who is an FOMC voter, who said that, according to Bloomberg, that he thinks another rate hike before the year end will likely be needed if the economy is stronger than expected. Seasonality was cited as another potential factor contributing to the negative price action. September historically has been the worst month of the year, as I said earlier, for the S&P 500. Mega caps and semiconductor stocks paced broad-based losses. It was the rate-sensitive utilities, which sectors was down 3.1%, that saw the biggest decline. Amazon was an individual standout of note to the downside following news that the Federal Trade Commission and 17 state attorney generals are suing the company for illegally maintaining monopoly power. Reviewing Tuesday's economic data, we saw that the July FHFA housing price index is up 8 tenths of 1%. The prior month was revised up 4%, or 4 tenths of 1% from 0.3. And the July S&P Case-Shiller Home Index was up a tenth of 1%. Prior month was revised downward 1.2%. September's consumer confidence was 103. Prior month was revised from 187 down to 106.1. The key takeaway from this report is that the drop in consumer confidence is driven by consumers' weakening expectations for future business conditions, job availability, and incomes, all of which have the potential to translate into softer spending. New home sales in August were 657,000. Prior month was revised from 739,000, or to 739,000 from 714. On Wednesday, stocks were seemingly poised for a rebound in early going, the following sharp losses on Tuesday, and, and equity started to fade, however, as oil prices and market rates moved higher. The major indices ultimately settled off their lows thanks to a mega-cap power climb in the afternoon. Notably, the afternoon improvement happened despite yields and crude oil futures remaining elevated. Despite the mixed index level performance, breadth was positive for this session. Advancers had a roughly 11 to 10 lead over decliners on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Mega-cap stocks, your semiconductor stocks, and growth stocks outperformed and helped support the broader market. So reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the weekly MBA Mortgage Applications Index declined 1.3%, purchase applications falling 1%, and refinance applications dropping 2%. We saw that total durable goods orders increased two-tenths of 1% month over month in August, following a downward revised 5.6% decline in July. If you take out a transportation, durable goods orders were up four-tenths of 1%, and that follows a downward revised one-tenth of 1% in July. So the key takeaway from this report is that orders for non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft, 
which is a proxy for business spending, were up at a robust nine-tenths of 1% month over month, rebounding from a four-tenths of 1% decline in July. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here at KGMI. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back shortly. How does year-round comfort sound? Whether you're too hot or too cold, eliminate comfort challenges with a new Daikin heat pump or AC. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC Electrical and Plumbing, and I'm thrilled to introduce our latest offer. Same as cash, pay no interest, and no payments for 12 months. As we say goodbye to summer, don't say goodbye to adding cooling just yet. Now is the perfect time to upgrade your home comfort system. And the best part is you can lock in 2023 prices and pay nothing until next year. But here's the real kicker. Same as cash applies to heating, cooling, as well as solar, generators, tankless water heaters, and more. And with Barron's special financing, enjoy zero interest and no payments for a full year. At Barron, we understand the value of your time and budget. That's why we offer short wait times and fast track installation. Call Barron today for a free estimate. So long summer hello savings baron your full service hvac electrical and plumbing contractor our mission improving lives this is jake at vineyard park of linden manor assisted living while the world has changed the needs of our seniors have not at vineyard park of linden manor we offer independent and assisted living as well as memory care it's your private apartment you don't live at our work we work in your home We offer 24-hour nursing services, weekly housekeeping, anytime dining, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at carepartnersliving.com and schedule your personal tour today. The itsy-bitsy spider crawled up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed that... That fur isn't itsy-bitsy, Dad. Oh, don't worry, kiddo. It's just a story. No, Dad, that fur on the windowsill. The itsy-bitsy spider is cute when it's only a nursery rhyme. But if your home has big, hairy, nasty spiders, don't panic. Call BioBug today. BioBug, service you trust, experience you expect. In Whatcom, Skagit, and Island Counties and online at BioBug.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. If you've got questions for us, you can give us a call. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's Old Highway 99, parallel to I-5, north of the Salada Road, out in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And so we want to, as always, though, thank you for being with us. And going to continue on with this week's market summary. On Thursday, the stock market experienced some choppiness in the early going, but quickly found some upside momentum following Wednesday's afternoon bounce. The positive bias stemmed from a belief that the stock market is due for a bounce after suffering steep losses in September. The major indices all registered gains but closed off their highs for the day. The S&P 500 finished by a whisker shy of 4,300. True to September form, the price action in the Treasury market was a big directional driver for stocks. Even when stock market rates hit their eyes in the session, stocks were holding up fairly well. Presumably, there was viewed as a positive development that invited additional rebound interest. 
Some mega caps have been trading down in the early going, limiting index performance. Apple and Microsoft were among the influential laggards, down 1.7% and 1.1% respectively at their lows of the day. That They would rebound as would other mega cap stocks. So reviewing Thursday's economic data, we saw initial claims for the week, and that's jobless claims of ending September the 23rd, increased 2,000 to 204,000. Continuing claims for the week ending the 16th of September increased by 12,000 to 1.670 million. The key takeaway from this report is that the low level of initial claims, which is a leading indicator, continues to fit the framework of a tight labor market. Also, the third estimate of the second quarter GDP was unchanged from the second quarter estimate at 2.1% as expected. The GDP deflator, though, saw a friendly downward revision to 1.7% from 2%. Benchmark revisions showed real GDP increase at an annual rate of 5.6% from the second quarter of 2020 to the first quarter of 23. That's two-tenths of a percentage point lower than previously indicated. So the key takeaway from this report is that the improved deflator reading, the 1.7% increase is the lowest since the second quarter of 2020. On Friday, stocks were showing some strength in the early going, building on the rebound that started Wednesday. The S&P 500, NASDAQ, and Dow Jones Industrial Average were up 8 tenths of 1%, 1.4%, and 0.7% respectively at their highs of the morning. The major indices are all over, though, and closed near their worst levels of the session. The NASDAQ eked out a small gain thanks to relative strength in the mega caps, while the other major indices closed in the red. Market breadth was also mixed. So a drop in market rates was a positive development and helped drive the initial upside moves. Yields climbed off their lows of the day, though were coincided with the stocks deteriorating. Friday morning's pleasing economic data was another tailwind for stocks in the early going. And in other news, United Auto Workers called an additional 7,000 workers at Ford and General Motors to strike at noon on Eastern Time. It did not organize, however, additional strikes at Stellantis, which is Jeep and Chrysler. So reviewing Friday's economic data, personal income increased four-tenths of 1% month over month in August, that after increasing two-tenths of 1% in July. And personal spending was up four-tenths of, uh, of a percent month over month, after increasing upward to revised nine-tenths of 1% in July. The PCE price index was up four-tenths of 1%, and the core PCE price index rose one-tenth. On the year-over-year basis, headline PCE index is up 3.5% versus an upwardly revised 3.4% in July. However, this core PCE price index decelerated at 3.9% year-over-year uh, from an upwardly revised 0.43 in July. So we are seeing a slowdown there. The key takeaway is that core price growth is a bit cooler than expected, though the overall report wasn't weak enough to cause a sudden shift in markets, Fed funds, rates, expectations. The final, and we also saw the final reading of the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index for September came out at 68.1. That versus the preliminary reading of 67.7. The final reading in August was 69.5. One year ago in September, the reading was 58.6, so a little improvement. And the key takeaway from this report is that inflation expectations were revised up from their preliminary readings for the month, but they reflected some moderation in expectations when compared to the final readings of August. So year-to-date, up through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 1.1% for the year. 
The NASDAQ, however, still up 26.3. The S&P 500 up 11.7. And the Russell 2000 is up 1.4%. Taking a look at some of our high-frequency data, as I mentioned a minute ago, initial jobless claims for the week ending September 22nd were 204,000. That was an increase of 1%. We also saw jobless continuing claims at 1,670,000 for the week ending September 15th. That was an increase of seven-tenths of 1%. Looking at those ugly Bacchus receipts for the week ending September 28th, they were down another 23.4%. Rail car traffic for the week ending the 22nd uh, of uh, September was up seven-tenths of 1%. Steel production was up a tenth of 1%. We saw hotel occupancy at 16, 8.5%. That was for the week ending September 23rd. That was up 1.7%. TSA checkpoint data for September 28th, 2,389,954 passengers a day. That's almost 2,400,000. That is an increase of 4.1% over what we saw in 2019. It was also a 1.3% increase in the week. We also saw the supply of motor gasoline was up 2.5%. And global commercial flights ending September 28th, 129,025 a day. That uh, is up 6.8% over where it was in 2019. It is also up one-tenth of 1% for the week. Well, you know, we talk about U.S. topic of manufacturing. And, you know, we've heard that the common political refrain is that the U.S. doesn't manufacture anything anymore. However, we're finding that that reality is really quite different. And while the pace of manufacturing in the U.S. has slowed somewhat in recent years, it's important to note that it's not far from its all-time high. Despite certain challenges, manufacturing sector in the U.S. remains resilient and robust. So here are three of the examples that we can put it into some context. Let's talk, about, first of all, about manufacturing versus jobs. One of the most significant misconceptions contributing to the belief that manufacturing is dying in the U.S. revolves around manufacturing jobs. In the early 1940s, manufacturing jobs constituted nearly 39% of all jobs. However, over the past 80 years, the share of manufacturing jobs has steadily declined to just over 8% of the total market. Interesting, though, while manufacturing jobs have decreased, Manufacturing production has increased sixfold over that same period of time. This remarkable increase in manufacturing productivity tells the real story. So, yes, while the number of jobs in manufacturing has decreased, the actual output has increased tremendously. We're also finding that manufacturing output is in the top five countries in the world. That when people think about manufacturing, China often comes to mind. And it is true that China holds the title of the world's largest manufacturer, overtaking the United States as the leading manufacturer back in 2010. However, the U.S. remains the second largest manufacturer globally, and the third largest is Japan, lags far behind, producing only 38% of what the U.S. does, and has lost some ground relative to the U.S. in the past few decades. Then if we look at manufacturing construction and spending boom, in the United States, construction spending has doubled since late 2021, largely due to initiatives like the CHIPS Act and government programs offering direct funding and tax incentives. Most of this growth is in computer, electronic, and electrical manufacturing sector, particularly semiconductor plants. 
As of July of this year, this sector represented 55% of manufacturing spending compared to an average of 12% between 1993 and 2021. Concerns arise about the sustainability and the potential neglect of other manufacturing areas in need of investment due to the focus on politically favored subsidized sectors. But again, some pretty interesting numbers when you start sitting down and looking at what is really happening in the manufacturing. Like I said, fewer jobs but greater output. It's kind of interesting. We also rank, like I said, second in the world. Substantially ahead of Japan, which is number three in Germany, and then the Republic of Korea, which is number five. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We're going to take a quick break for news. We will be back shortly. If you are looking for individual health insurance or health and party drug plans to go with your Medicare, give us a call. Hi, this is Marcia Neal from Vibrant USA. Finding information on the insurance plans available to you and your family can be confusing and frustrating. The knowledgeable, friendly agents at Vibrant USA are here to help you sort through the chaos. There is never a charge for our services, so call now at 866-733-5111. Home. It's the heart of your world, a place where life blooms in every season. At Vista Materials, they understand the essence of home. Not just wood chips or firewood, but the warmth of a crackling fireplace, the crunch of wood chips underfoot. They don't just sell materials, they deliver comfort. Vista Materials in Ferndale, your one-stop shop for premier landscaping materials. Order online for effortless delivery. Prepare for fall and winter. Avoid muddy areas with ground cover wood chips. Visit vistamaterialsinc.com. Swan's Clean Care and Restoration is excited because football season is here. Time to get geared up to watch the game, prepare the game day snacks, display your favorite team's colors, and invite friends and family over. But before you invite everyone over, it's time to get your carpets cleaned and deodorized because the last thing you want is great Aunt Mildred complaining about how fresh your carpets are. Let the professionals at Swan's Clean Care and Restoration get your carpets clean and ready this football season. Find them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. The Seahawks are back at home on Sunday, October 22nd against the division rival Arizona Cardinals, and we want to send you to Lumen Field with two tickets to cheer on the Hawks. It's easy to enter. Just go to this station's website and click the contest tab. Then fill out a registration form, and you'll be entered to win a pair of tickets to see the Hawks host the Cardinals on October 22nd. Sweepstakes live until October 20th at 10 a.m. One entry per person. Find details and enter at this station's website. Go Hawks! Keep up with what's happening in Linden with Bo Wild and the Linden Hometown News on KGMI. Further north on the guide, if you look back toward Linden's door, you'll see some clearing and some building going on. There is a fuel station and stores going in there. It's brought to you by Rustler's Front Street Grill and the Rusty Wagon in Linden. Stop by today for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Downtown on Front Street and on Hannigan, just north of Pole Road. Bo knows Linden and so will you with the Linden Hometown News. Mondays on the KGMI Morning news. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Harness the power of the sun, reduce your carbon footprint, and save on your energy bills. You can now go solar with West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. 
CBS News Brief. A possible government shutdown if Congress fails to reach a budget deal by midnight Eastern time. That means limited or no government services, like getting a marriage license. We do not want to take any chances, uh, so we prioritize getting getting here today uh, and making sure we can take care of this so there were no risks. Striking auto workers say it's about fairness. We're working, we're building our hands hurt, our back hurt, but we're building these trucks, so why can't we get paid for it? Why can't we get a raise? The executive's getting raises. Nearly three decades after his death, an arrest in the murder of music icon Tupac Shakur. The suspect is Dwayne Keith Davis. Davis has denied firing the weapon, though prosecutors say he did call the shots, which is enough to warrant a murder charge in the state of Nevada. He will appear in court next week for arraignment. CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti. CBS News Brief. I'm Linda Kenyon. And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up Welcome back to World Freakin' Live Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning well, it's that time of the year when we need to think about our 23 year-end checklist, especially for retirement accounts. So let's talk about this year-end game plan. You know, in sports, there's a halftime, there's an overtime. Soccer has stoppage time. Racing sports have lap times and time trials. Clock is always ticking right down to crunch time. For IRAs and workplace retirement plans like 401ks, it's late in the fourth quarter and you have no timeouts. Now it's time to take advantage of certain beneficial retirement account tax breaks. You must keep your heads in the game. Since many of these actions require cooperation from third-party IRA custodians and plan administrators, call, call at play now. Start year-end planning. The referee is about to blow the final whistle, so don't always rely on that Hail Mary. So let's take a look at some of these things. If you got a simple plan, October 1st, actually tomorrow, is when is the deadline for you setting up a new simple for 2023 and for this year. And so technically, I suppose you could get by with it with Monday if you did it. But if you start a new business after October 1st of this year, however, you could set up a simple plan that you can set up administratively feasible, but no later than December 31st. So simple plans are kind of a, kind of a neat, like a 401k plan. They're easy to do. We do quite a few of them. Uh, we like them. They're good to, good to set up, but we do run up against this deadline every year at setting up new ones. Also, October 16th is a big date. This is when you must make your 22 employer contributions to your simple IRA. So if you had a simple IRA last year and you did not put your employer contributions in for your uh, matching, then you have to get it in by the 16th of September, or October, I should say. And so th- that is basically the business filing deadline, in d- deadline, including extensions. If you had an extension to October 16th to file your 22 return, that is the last day that you can put in that 22 return. So uh, most employers I know of put the money in regularly when they put in their employee contributions, but some employers do to put it off until as long as they can. So if the business is on a tax filing extension, they do have until the 16th. Also, you can establish and fund a SEP IRA plan for 2022. And the deadline for doing that 
or to make contributions to an existing SEP is the business's tax filing deadline, also including extension. So October 16th, if you have a SEP, which is a simplified employee pension plan, then you also have to put in your 22 contributions by October 16th. Also, you need to correct your 22 IRA contributions. Individuals who made excess contributions to the IRA for last year in 22 can reset the play. If the excess contribution plus net income attributable was withdrawn by October 16th, otherwise a 6% penalty will apply. Excess contributions can also be recharacterized by that date. If a contribution is recharacterized, it will move from one type of IRA to another as a reportable non-taxable transfer. Contributions will be treated as though it had been originally made to the IRA of which it was recharacterized. So correcting a contribution by withdrawal or by recharacterization is not limited to excess contributions. IRA owners can correct an unwanted 2022 IRA or Roth contribution by October 16th for any reason, even if it's an allowable contribution and not an excess. Remember, both Roth IRA conversions cannot be recharacterized, so you cannot change a Roth IRA contribution or if you, or if you did it. October 31st, another deadline. If you have a trust that a beneficiary, you must provide the trust uh, documentation. An IRA owner or retirement plan is named as a trust as a beneficiary and died last year in 22. October 31st is the deadline for the trustee of the trust to provide required documentation to either the IRA custodian or the plan administrator. This may sound like more paperwork, but it's critical. If a trustee misses this deadline, the trust will not, uh, will not meet those look-through rules and trust beneficiaries may lose their advantageous tax treatment. Then December 31st is another big one that we have to look out here at, and that means that you need to take your required minimum distributions or RMDs by that time. So IRAs owners who turn 73 or older this year must take their 23 RMD. Participants' employer plans who are age 73 or older are also taking RMDs, assuming that they do not qualify for the still working exception. So if you're still working, uh, there are some exceptions where you don't have to take that RMD even if you are over 73. Beneficiaries may also be subject to RMDs. So December 31st is the deadline for taking your 23 RMD. So a beneficiary, if you had an inherited IRA, you do have to take that out by the end of the year. And while distributions are not required from Roth IRAs during the owner's lifetime, don't forget that RMDs may be required for both if you have an inherited IRA or an inherited Roth IRA. So missing the December 30, 31st deadline can be catastrophic as there's a 25% penalty on the amount of the RMD that has not been taken. Steer clear of this penalty by, by closely monitoring your accounts. You need to process your RMDs early to avoid last-minute errors. You need to note also that the SECURE Act 2.0 gives beneficiaries of extended period of, to take the year of death RMD, and then the 20, 25% missing RMD penalty is automatically waived in the year of death if the RMD is taken by the beneficiary's tax filing deadline. And so there's some extensions. So there are a couple of exceptions there, but you need to know what those rules are. Also, we do a ton of these. We like them. We think they're great. You can do qualified charitable donations or distributions, QCDs. And, and the file action intensifi- uh, field on the f- on-field action intensifies. Do not forget about your QCDs. Identifying charitably inclined uh, p- who want to m- might benefit from QCDs before the year end. 
Many people make their charitable gifts in December. QCDs remain a fantastic tax break. IRA owners and beneficiaries who are at least 70 and a half are eligible to transfer up to $100,000 to charities directly from the IRA for this year. Secure 2.0 expanded the QCD rules to allow a once-in-a-lifetime $50,000 tax-free transfer to what we call a split-interest entity, entity such as a charitable gift annuity. Another benefit of a QCD is that it can satisfy your RMD as long as the RMD has not already been withdrawn, and you can also make sure the QCD is received to the charity by year's end. So there's some interesting rules. We do a ton of QCDs for our clients. Uh, basically, you take that money out and pay it directly to the charity instead of paying it to yourself. So if you're doing charitable donations and you can't itemize the deduction, you definitely want to take a look at doing a QCD because that money goes directly to the charity. And so instead of you taking your RMD, which is taxable to you, you do that QCD and pay it directly to the charity. Also, you might want to consider Roth conversions. Although Roth conversions generate immediate taxation, federal tax rates are historically low, may not stay that much for long. We expect them to go up after 2025 after the Trump tax cuts expire. So you need to take advantage of today's low rates by converting traditional retirement accounts to Roths. To qualify as a 23 Roth conversion, the funds must leave the IRA and company plan by December 31st. There's no such thing as a prior year conversion. Those who are reluctant to absorb a big tax bill might consider a series of smaller posture conversions over time, using up lower tax brackets. Remember, Roth conversions are permanent, so you need to be certain that you have enough funds to pay those taxes before you complete that transaction. We have a program that we can actually scan your 2022 tax return in, as an example, and run some what-ifs for you. So if it's something that would be of value to you, it's something we do a lot of. Also, you need to use the net unrealized depreciation strategy. An NUA is a great tax planning tool if you have highly appreciated company stock in your 401k. NUA allows the individual to pay ordinary income tax on the cost basis of shares, not the total value of the shares withdrawn. So the difference between the cost basis and current value, or the NUA, that's the net unrealized depreciation, is not taxable until the shares are sold and then at favorable long-term capital gains rates. Although NUA strategy can be lucrative, the eligibility rules are strict. For example, the participant's entire account must be emptied with few limited exceptions in one calendar year. Individuals planning to use NUA strategy for 23 need to start the process early enough to ensure that the lump sum distribution occurs before the end of this year. You can also split IRAs into separate accounts. Another critical December 31st deadline includes splitting inherited IRAs into separate accounts. Beneficiaries have until December 31st of the year following the year of death to split inherited IRAs. One important uh, reason for creating separate IRAs is to allow beneficiaries to take advantage of favorable tax distribution payout rules. And be, but be forewarned, if you take the IRA custodian some time to establish these separate accounts, so you need to pay attention to that calendar. So what we're saying here is if you inherited an IRA, there's a number of beneficiaries you need to get those accounts split up in the names of each one of those beneficiaries. Let each one of them take it out into their own most tax-advantaged ways. Also, if you're taking 72 distributions, 72T, I should say, uh, IRA owners who can tap their accounts before age 59 and a half can do it without that 10% early withdrawal penalty if you commit to a series of withdrawals according to rules set out in what we call 72T of the tax code. 
These payments must continue without modification for five years or until age 59 and a half, whichever is longer. The payments must be taken at least annually. Those For those in the calendar year tax schedule, the deadline for 23 payment is December 31st. Be sure to leave enough time to take the distribution. Simply starting the process or requesting the payment will not suffice. The payment must be distributed and reported on a 1023 form 1099-R. Again, we do a lot of 72Ts for those that have you know, fairly substantial balances below age 59 and a half. They decide they want to retire early. It is something that's kind of a neat little planning tool. Also, don't forget about your beneficiary forms and keep them up to date. You need to keep your beneficiary forms, uh, basically check them out. You need to have them on file. You need to work, make sure that whoever your advisor is has them on file. These forms should be reviewed at least, at least annually to ensure their accuracy. The end of the year is a good time to discuss updating your beneficiaries in the wake of life events that may have occurred. Marriage, divorce, death, a birth, or adoption are all reasons why but this financial planning needs may change. So it's crunch time. The clock is ticking down. Both the SECURE Act and the SECURE 2.0 change the rules. Have a game plan, huddle up, huddle it up, and the 2023 year-end review is now more critical than ever. So IRA planning is really important. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> Since 1946, DeWard & Bodie has been the largest independent appliance and mattress retailer in Whatcom, Skagit, and Island Counties. But the truth is, bigger isn't always better. Being better is better. That's why DeWard & Bodie is dedicated to bringing you the best showcase of in-stock appliances and mattresses, the best prices with the best no-interest financing options, and the best team of in-house professional delivery, install, and service technicians. They carry the best reviewed and most reliable major home appliances from industry Leading brands like GE, Whirlpool, Bosch, LG, Thermador, Sub-Zero, Wolf, and so many more. Plus, top-rated mattress brands like Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and Sealy. You can buy with confidence at DeWard & Bodie. They service every product they sell with factory-certified technicians, keeping you covered with worry-free warranties up to five years. They deliver right to your home, professionally install, and even haul away the old stuff. Visit one of their three showrooms in Bellingham or Burlington to experience the DeWard & Bodie difference for yourself. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, located in Bellingham on Kentucky Street, is here for your auto repair and service needs. Trusted and affordable auto repair in Bellingham for over 25 years. Ask about their oil change and maintenance inspections. You can hear Brian from Dr. John's Auto Clinic every Saturday on In the Shop on Newstalk 790 KGMI. Or check out Dr. John's Auto Clinic at djautoclinic.com. And on Facebook for the latest in auto repair news. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, reliable, honest, and a part of this community for over 25 years. Tuning into the high school football game. Monitoring the incoming storm. They say what I think, but smarter. Catching your favorite talk show. These are just few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. And AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you and your family safe in dangerous times. Visit wearebroadcasters.com to learn more and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. As always, if you got questions for me, you can always give me a call at the office, 360-733-1200. 
going to continue on with discussion here, a little bit on IRAs, a little different approach or a little different thought, finding that there are some rules, in this case, seven rules for non-spouse beneficiaries of inherited IRAs that we'd like to point out to you. And we're finding that many IRA assets will ultimately go to non-spouse beneficiaries. When these beneficiaries inherit the funds, special rules kick in. Inherited IRAs are not like your own personal IRA account. So here are seven rules for inherited IRAs that may surprise you if you're a non-spouse beneficiary. Number one, you cannot contribute it to an inherited IRA. So you cannot make contributions to an inherited IRA. If you do have your own IRA, you cannot add those funds to the inherited IRA or vice versa. Number two, you can move your inherited IRA. If you're unhappy with the investment choices of the custodian, you can move your inherited IRA to another custodian. You can select different F, different and different investment options. However, you must move the account via direct transfer. And the new account must be an inherited IRA as well. So a non-spouse beneficiary, you cannot take distribution and then roll it over in 60 days. So what we're saying here is, you can move where your IRA, the non, the inherited IRA is. However, you can't go in and get the money like you might want to do in a 60-day rollover. In this case, you have to do a direct rollover to your new custodian, and the, um, uh, and again, you can't add any money to it. Now, I mentioned earlier in the last segment about you may able to be able to do qualified charitable donations or QCDs, qualified charitable distributions. If you're charitably inclined, you can take advantage of it. Again, you can move up to $100,000 of your IRA funds annually or directly to a charity of choice in a tax-free transfer. To do this, you have to be at least 70 and a half. Number four, you cannot convert your inherited IRA. You know, many times non-spouse beneficiaries are interested in having a Roth IRA. Unfortunately, the rules do not allow the non-spouse IRA beneficiaries to convert that inherited IRA to a Roth. Number five, you may be subject to annual required distributions or the 10-year rule. You can't keep the funds in your inherited IRA forever. If you inherited the funds in the IRA and funds in 2020 or later as a non-spouse beneficiary, you're most likely going to be subject to what we call the 10-year period, possibly an annual RMDs during the 10-year period. That means you have to take all out within 10 years and you have to also do annual distributions. Certain eligible designated beneficiaries who inherited in 2020 or later and those who inherited prior to 2020 may still be able to stretch their RMDs over their life expectancy. And number six, your distributions may be taxable, but there will be no penalty. Inherited IRAs are also never subject to this 10% early with distribution penalty. However, if you inherit a traditional IRA, it's likely that distributions you'll take will be taxable. If you inherit a Roth IRA, though, you're more fortunate from a tax perspective. Distributions from an inherited Roth IRA most likely will be tax-free. Number seven, you should make sure that you name a successor beneficiary on that inherited IRA. When you inherit an IRA, it makes sense to name a beneficiary. If you don't, default provisions in the IRA document are likely to apply. In many cases, this would mean the funds would go to your estate, which could mean more taxes and the time and expense of probate. So, again, making sure you have a designated beneficiary, as I said in the previous section, make sure your beneficiary designations are correct. Make sure they're up to date. Again, things like deaths and divorces and remarriages and 
all those things. It's amazing the number. It also a lot of mergers we've seen in the financial industry. Amazing how many times those records have not been had the portability that you need. So make sure that your custodian has the correct information. A real good, really something you need to do. Okay, let's talk a little bit here, though. We're seeing that home prices are hitting a new high. It's easing the recent declines. We saw home prices in the U.S. climb to a record high, and the market bounces back. The national gauge of prices rose for a sixth straight month, increasing six-tenths of 1% in July from June, according to seasonality-adjusted data from S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller. So far this year, the national measure is up 5.3%. This year's gains have offset the 5% decline in prices from last year's peak from June of 22 through January of 23, when the market was slowing. <clears throat> the index measures a period of time when mortgage rates started to push back up towards 7%. Many owners, of course, we've talked about this a lot, are reluctant to put their homes on the market at a time with high borrowing costs, leaving buyers to fight over a limited supply of homes listed for sale. The number of homes for sale in August was down 7.9% from a year ago, according to Realtor.com. Buyer's demand continues to outmatch housing supply, creating upward pressure on home prices despite the fact that some home purchase costs are taking on an outsized share of household income. That comes from Realtor.com's chief economist, Danielle Hale, who said in a statement, on a year-over-year basis, home prices nationally increased 1%. Prices were flat in June. Chicago, Cleveland, and New York posted the biggest annual gains in a 20-city measure of prices in July. Vegas and Phoenix were the worst performers with declines of 7.2% and 6.6%, respectively. You know, we do, we suggest, we work with a lot, college savings plans, what we call 529 plans. Well, here's what you need to keep in mind. If you have a 529 plan or you're going to set one up, you need to be aware of these things. Basically, a 529 plan is a tax-exempt education savings account. If you're already tapping in this for this school year or considering tapping it, in the process, you'll want to examine your long-term education goals, understand what constitute a qualified expense, and have a tax-minded strategy for withdrawal. So here are a few considerations that you might want to keep in mind when you start using your 529 funds. Number one, you need to remember what your goals are. Just like education, 529 plans offer paths to success. In addition to covering tuition and fees for traditional college and K-12, a 529 plan can cover trade and grad school. It can cover apprenticeships. It can study, cover a study aboard pro- programs minus your traveling costs and other items like uh, books, supplies, internet access, even student loan repayments. But making making withdrawals, think about your long-term goals. Ask yourself if you plan to attend graduate school, go to a vacation school, or even study abroad. You need to take a collective tally and potential timeline for expenses that will help you understand when and how you should make those withdrawals. The, with this understanding... Consider by using the money in your account makes sense. If you better serve saving it for anticipated future expenses, then t- you know in the early part of your education journey, if you can afford it, pay those expenses out of your pocket. It often encourage and I you know often encourage people to consider allowing their 529 plans to continue to grow, reaping the benefits of compounding returns. You also need to understand the logistics. Once you start taking withdrawals. 
you need to take stock of the limits and how much you can uh, take out at a given time. For example, K-12 tuition, you can now use 529 for that, but it's also limited to $10,000 a year. Student loan time payments, you can also use it for that, but you're limited to $10,000 over your lifetime that you can use for student loans. Another part of this planning is understanding tax deductions, penalties, and responsibilities. There's a contribution portion. There's an earning portion to all 529 plans. The earnings portion of the plan is not subject to federal income tax and usually not subject to state income tax if it's used for qualified expense. But you're going to face an income tax and a 10% penalty on earnings portion if you use that 529 on non-qualified expenses. Non-qualified expenses included college application and testing fees, health insurance, extracurricular activities, and transportation costs. The contribution portion, however, is never taxed or penalized if it's made with the after-tax dollars. Tax reporting is the responsibility of the 529 account owner. The IRS requires proof that withdrawals were indeed made for qualified purposes. You need to keep track of all payment documentation accumulated throughout the year. This includes receipts of both processed and canceled payments, as well as ongoing billing statements. If a 529 is used for your, by your child <coughs> to pay for college, textbooks, for example, you need to be sure to have a discussion around saving that documentation. You also need to keep in mind that withdrawals must be made during the same tax year as incurred qualified expenses. This is why this is not an official rule, it's implied in the IRS guidance. So pay attention to semester tuition bills and try to align your withdrawals as necessary. Don't take out money right at the end of 2023 for 24 because it's not in the right year and you take it out in January. In any instance, I recommend you consult with a tax or legal professional to ensure that you're meeting all requirements to avoid costly mistakes or qualified expenses. Taxes that can vary by state. You also have a few other options that you need to be aware of. And features uh, vary by plan. The 529s offer flexibility to freely move money from one beneficiary account to another. The account owner can also change the beneficiary to another eligible family member without facing penalties or taxes. Starting in 2025, Plan will also offer the option of rolling up to $35,000 into a Roth IRA. Now, there's a couple of limitations on this. The plan has to be in place, the 529 has to be in existence for 15 years. And only funds that have been in the account for at least five years, as well as earnings, can be used for the Roth. Also, you're subject to the annual Roth contribution limits, which this year is $6,500. There's also some state, state rules to apply, and you need to balance your education goals, especially with if you have more than one child. There's a lot of other things we could talk about. I think I'm getting, getting out of here. So Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. If you've got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks, and have a great week.
The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.